2020 Giro d'Italia is here at last, and Flow Bikes is the place to be. Watch all 21 stages of the Corsa Rossa live and on demand in the U.S. and Canada. In addition to the live broadcast, viewers can access exclusive on-site coverage, expert analysis, live watch parties with world tour pros, and a host of other behind-the-scenes content. And that's not all. The Tour of Flanders is just around the corner, and Flow Bikes will have live and on-demand coverage of the race in the U.S. and Canada. Don't miss out on the craziness of fall racing. And when you purchase a Flow Bike subscription, you'll get access to the entire Flow Sports Network of over 25 sports. Sign up at flowbikes.com forward slash velonews. That is F-L-O bikes.com forward slash velonews. I got to say, I have Flow Bikes bookmarked on my computer. I've been using it so much between the Giro and Flanders and Gent Wevelgum. So I, I don't know where... I don't know where I would be without Flow Bikes. So thanks again to Flow Bikes. That's flobikes.com forward slash VeloNews. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to the VeloNews podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a crisp Thursday morning here at the home offices for VeloNews in my spare bedroom. Um... Lots of stuff to get to today on the podcast. Before that, quick programming note, we are coming to you a day later than normal. That is due to a variety of factors. Uh, I took a quick little family vacay at the beginning of this week, uh, recharged my batteries as we've been going full gas since August with the uh, race coverage. Um, But the second one is actually I did record a podcast earlier this week on Monday, and it was completely Wiped out by the news at the Giro d'Italia of all of the COVID-19 positives. Yeah, James Start and I linked up on Monday to talk about all the action. And at that point in the race, um, Simon Yates had left the race with a COVID-19 positive, but there was still a lot of speculation about, hey, was that the only um, COVID news? And of course, on Tuesday, we woke up to the news that all of Mitchelton Scott had left the race. All of Yumbo Visma had re- left the race after Stephen Kreuzweg tested positive. And basically, all the perspective that we had on the race and the ongoing COVID-19 story um, from Monday morning was completely erased. But that's just the way things are working in this news cycle right now as things are developing and evolving very quickly And so I just, you know, I wanted to um, make sure we were up to date on everything that was going on with the race. And sure enough, I mean, here it is Thursday morning. And as we are recording this, um, there are surging COVID-19 cases um, across Europe. The um, Giro d'Italia, apparently there was a request made today by EF Pro Cycling to potentially stop the Giro d'Italia, the UCI um, sounds like said no to that request. I see Jonathan Vodder's tweeting out. To give this some color, we aren't threatening to leave, just making a suggestion that we feel it is correct given the situation. We'd rather race all the way to the finish in Milan, and if the next round of tests shows it's safe to do that, we will. Um, right now, the race is in between COVID-19 tests, but, you know, the next round of tests could throw another curveball our way and... Uh, you know, torpedo this podcast. We hope that's not the case. But just know that, you know, podcasts are one of those things where it's like you record it, you got to process it, edit it. And by the time it comes out, it may be different. So for all of the up-to-date news on the Giro and the other races going on, 
go to velonews.com. We have a crazy busy weekend of racing going on with uh, Tour of Flanders, uh, men's and women's Tour of Flanders going on, bringing official close to the cobbled classic season after Paris-Roubaix is canceled. A um, lot of cool storylines to follow at Tour of Flanders, Walt Van Aert versus Matthew Vanderpoel, uh, Mads Pedersen looking great. Um, Julian Alaphilippe will be racing. Roman Bardet will be racing. Plus, I just love Flanders. Flanders, I've said this before, it's my favorite monument. If you ever get a chance under normal circumstances to check out a European bike race, I suggest the Tour of Flanders. You can see the race go by multiple times. The climbs are so fun. You can do the big sportive the day before. And just it's just a big celebration of cycling. I love that race. Um, it's going to be a bit different this year, both for the men's and the women's races. They are restricting fans on courses and at the start and the finish. And I, it sounds like they're really restricting it. You know, groups of four and or more are banned. Everyone has to wear a face mask and then no fans on the climbs. So those iconic images of like thousands of screaming people on the Haute Quermont, the blowing flags and the screaming fans and the Paderberg and the Koppenberg are just not going to be a sight this year. So I guess in the future, when we go back and watch YouTube clips, you will very easily be able to identify 2020 because that is the, uh, the edition where, you know, whoever the leader is going up over the climbs will be barren. Um, anyway, lots to follow with Tour of Flanders. Really excited about that. But this week's episode, we're going to go back to the Giro and talk about what's going on with the Giro. Um, second half of the show, I have an interview with Chad Haga. Chad is racing the Giro. We recorded this earlier in the week, so it was before teams were leaving. But still, Chad's perspective on COVID-19, the dynamics at the Giro, and what it's like for his team to now have a real legitimate GC player in Wilco Kelderman, uh, what that's like for him. So thanks to Chad for linking up. But before we get to that, um, we have James Start, who is on the ground at the Giro. He uh, left the Giro briefly to go back home, but because of the COVID-19 story, he has come back to continue his reporting there. So let's get to James Start, then Chad Haga. And as always, thanks for listening to the Vela News Podcast. Okay, here's James Start. Okay, now we're joined by James Start. James is at the press room um, following stage 12 at the Giro d'Italia. Um, James, we've had some thrilling racing, but really the story over the last few days has been COVID at the race. Uh, news just came out that like 17 police motorbike officers from the e-Giro, the e which is their e-bike like fan race, have tested positive for COVID-19. Then we had the abandonment of Stephen Kreuzwick, Michael Matthews, um, the entire Mitchelton Scott team, the entire Yumbo Visma team. Um, I mean, what is the feeling like on the ground there in talking with riders and team officials about um, about the race and, and the impact that COVID-19's had? Well, this is just a... A tremendously confusing time, uh, obviously, and uh, one of, you know, we, we sense that, you know, there there is really struggling against a crisis here. I was actually on my way home. I was supposed to leave the Giro after 10 days after the rest day. I was driving to the airport in Rome when news broke all these teams. And uh, after talking with Andy Hood, we decided, you know, I better get back to that race because we don't know how long it's going to continue. When Simon Yates went positive a few days before, I think uh, it was the morning of stage eight, 
it was already big news, but it was one single isolated case. And everybody was hopeful that it would remain that way. You know, you remember in the Tour de France, we had, what, four, five, six cases on the first testing day, and then none on the next day. So it wasn't like because you have one test, you're going to have a whole bunch of others that go positive. Unfortunately, on the testing day here Monday, uh, we found that that wasn't true, and there were actually other cases, uh, a bunch on the uh, Mitchelton-Scott team. And they had that whole entire staff and team had been tested right as soon as they found out that Simon was, was positive. They all tested. They're all negative. And three days later, they were they were there was four positive cases and they pulled out. Uh, Kreuzweg, the team leader, uh, is out and the whole team just pulled out out of out of security. Um, you know, it's what it. I, I guess the biggest thing when I when I was talking with people, I talked to people after the Yates case and I talked to people uh, after the finish of the day when um, we lost two teams uh, and Michael Matthews and and a few others. Uh, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, okay, now. The, there's a we're having a real conversation about the potential of this race actually finishing. Now we really don't know if this is this this race is going to make it to Milan, and he's you know and clearly the racing has changed. The racing has been just all out racing uh, since then. Uh, you know just really hard stages attacking early um, group ruling stages because we don't know where this race is going to go. Yeah, you know when we linked up on Monday, um, you had done some reporting in the initial aftermath of the Yates positive in talking to people like that morning, once everyone knew, oh my gosh, Simon Yates has COVID, he has abandoned the race. And the quotes you got from people seemed to be very like, ah, oh, the bubble has been popped. Like this is very extreme. You know, people were shocked. And then the next day you talked to writers and, and directors, um, you know, 24 hours later, and that was after the news had settled down and people had had more time to digest it. And it it seemed like in the quotes you got there, people had kind of come to grips with it and thought, well, you know, like you said, at the tour, there were some positives. Christian Prudhomme was positive. We would be crazy not to think that there would that, that COVID wouldn't impact the race and somehow. So, you know, yeah, there's one positive and it's unfortunate, but we're all kind of moving on. And then this happens. And so it doesn't surprise me that when you spoke to people following the news of Kreuzwick and Yumbo Visma and the entire Mitchelton Scott team and Michael Matthews, that the the sentiment has become much more dire and much more of an emergency. Um, I mean, you've been covering this sport for 30 years. Have you ever seen a mood or an attitude like this uh, in the Peloton? Well, uh I, uh, you know, in, in very strange ways, in very strange ways, uh, the Festina Fair in the Tour de France, yeah. this is the first yeah. time where I have been so far midway through a race and really didn't know if it was going to make it to the finish. Obviously, the, the, the situation is completely different. Obviously, um, you know, uh, the reasoning is completely different. Um, you know, but that, that that this is the first time in over 20 years I've had that that serious serious uh, reckoning, and you don't really know, right? I mean, there's also a lot of solidarity. I think. I mean, you see the efforts the organizers are putting in this race. You see the efforts that everybody is making in this race. You see the efforts the teams are making in this race. Everybody's making efforts. Everybody wants to um, see this race get to to Milan, but you can't deny the fact that 
Europe right now is going through a very, uh, very sudden increase in second wave. This was not happening a month ago at the Tour de France. Okay, that was the situation in the rest of Europe and even in France, although it was not you know, perfect, was not anything like it is right now. Um, you know, I mean, Paris just last night where I live, when in a total lockdown, but they, they have a curfew. I mean, bars, restaurants, everything done at, at 10 o'clock. Um, and, you know, you got, it's just going to be, uh, you know, Europe is in a very bad situation right now. And unfortunately, Giro uh, d'Italia is, is, is a victim of that. I, do, I, I really, you know, I really don't know, um, you know, what to say. I mean, in, in, in all fairness, I still think that the riders and teams are probably in a better situation here than they are if they go home because it's not good anywhere. Um, that's just reality. I mean, it's not, it's not like we have a, a, a problem here at the Giro. There is a, a, you know, a problem in the world and the Giro is reflecting that. And, you know, how, how are you going to react is, is, is the choice, but I don't know that their health is any more in danger here than it would be on the streets of wherever these guys live. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that one question that I have that, um, you know, I, uh, we're going to continue to ask the riders about involves the whether anything has changed with the team hotels. So a week ago, um, you asked a number of riders questions about the team hotels, specifically in Sicily. Um, Brent Bookwalter had come on this podcast and said, you know, he was really turned off by the way that the team hotels were run in Sicily because there was a lot of interaction with the general public who were staying in the hotels. So riders were packed in these big, huge, um, these big, huge hotels that catered to tourists, and the hotels still had many tourists there. And although there were, you know, there was like some separation between the riders and the tourists, like it wasn't great. And, you know, you're still using the same hallways and elevators and public spaces. And some people are wearing masks and other people's aren't. And, you know, the riders are supposed to have their own separated dining rooms. And in some cases that was the case. And in some cases that wasn't the case. And in our reporting, it seemed like some of the riders looked at that as a potential to where the, you know, proverbial bubble could have been popped. And, Something I'm curious about is whether or not that hotel, those hotels and the hotel situation has improved going forward. And, and we're definitely going to be asking the riders about it. But what was your sense when you spoke to these riders, what, how they felt about the Giro's overall safety and potential areas where they think COVID could have come into the race? Well, um, you know, I have... Uh, yeah, they're, they're, people have said, you know, the hotels are the vulnerable, perhaps the, the, the point of vulnerability. Um, I was at the Tour de France. Uh, there was, I've been in team hotels on a couple of nights here, but I was also on the Tour, I was, you know, my, just my booking agency booked me in a team hotel on the Tour de France too. Um, so that was happening. Um, you have to understand, these hotels, they're... They may love the Giro d'Italia, but they also, they're also struggling to, to survive. The Giro d'Italia is going to rent out so many rooms for so many teams. If they get extra rooms, they're going to rent them out. Unless the Giro d'Italia is capable of buying up all the rooms for, and giving one team an entire hotel and leaving half that hotel empty or two-thirds of it empty or three-quarters of it empty every night of the, tour, of, of the Giro, 
then that's the only way you can you know, really assure a bubble. And that's financially just not feasible. You have to understand that. Um, so what you have to do is really clamp down on the bubbles within the teams. Um, and I'm, su I'm surprised about the thing with the riders and mixing with the buffets. Um, I, I don't, uh, I mean, there, there are ways to avoid that, ways where you have staff members going and getting the dinner and bringing it to the table for the riders. Um, there are, I mean, I'm not, I, I think it's really important not to point your finger at anybody here because I think everybody is really making efforts. Um, that you, I mean, I talked to several riders or staff members on teams that had been with teams that left the race or riders that left the race. Then I talked with guys at AG2R after Simon Yates left. He said, well, we were in their hotel with them the night before. We never saw them. They're in their bubble. We're in ours. I, I talked to Max Chiandri, uh, the man, one of the DSs of Movistar. And he says, well, the last three days we spent uh, with uh, Michael Matthews' team and with Jumbo Visma. And they're all out of the race now. But we didn't see them. You know, our, we're all in our bubbles and we're trying to, you know, doing hard, a good job to respect it. I was, I'm in a hotel right now with two teams, Israel Cycling uh, and uh, EF. I, 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 I know where EF is situated in the, in the uh, eating space. I haven't seen uh, Israel Cycling yet. I mean, we're all, everybody, there, there's, there's a fair amount of distancing. You know, we had to wrap up our chat with James Start a little bit early as the Wi-Fi cut out at the press room there in Italy. Um, you know, just sort of a typical thing with 2020. Some years there's a global pandemic and the races get canceled. And sometimes there is a Wi-Fi that cuts out in Italy. To check out all of James's content, his um, getting the shot pieces, photo galleries, and reporting, check out VelaNews.com. Uh, but thanks to James. Okay, up next, we have Chad Haga in my very quiet early morning interview with him at the Giro d'Italia. The 2020 Giro d'Italia is here and Flow Bikes is the place to be. Watch all 21 stages live and on demand in the U.S. and Canada. In addition to the live broadcast, viewers can access exclusive on-site coverage, expert analysis, live watch parties with World Tour pros, and a host of other behind-the-scenes content with our old friend Gregor Brown. And that's not all. The Tour of Flanders is just around the corner and Flow Bikes will have live and on-demand coverage of the race in the U.S. and Canada. Sign up at flowbikes.com slash velonews. That is F-L-O, bikes.com forward slash velonews. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. Okay, my guest today on the Velonews podcast is a American rider racing the Giro d'Italia. He has dad watts. He is a road captain. It's Chad Haga of Team Sunweb. Team Sunweb. Chad, apologies. It's early in the morning. It's midday for you, but a little early for me here at the Vela News uh, Home Away From Home podcast studio. Thanks for uh, making some time. Sure, glad to join. So we are talking to you on Monday, the rest day at the Giro d'Italia. And, you know, the big story over the last couple of days was the fact that uh, Simon Yates had to leave the race with COVID-19 positive. And I'm really curious, you know, in talking with teammates and other riders, what's the buzz like within the Peloton right now? about that story are people kind of like uh, hey you know this was something that could have happened are people freaking out how would you describe just the mood of the peloton right now it's sort of, it's sort of like a, a curious 
somewhat fear. I mean, the, Mitchelton seemed to be taking all the same measures as the rest of us, and yet Yates was positive for COVID. So uh, we're all kind of wary and and very interested to know the results of our test this morning um, because somehow the, the bubble was was popped, um, and we don't know if it's somehow been spreading silently and, and the tests today are going to bring that to light or if you – somehow was just an isolated case uh, that didn't get spread to anybody else. So a, a lot of questions are going to be answered in the next uh, 24 hours. Is everyone kind of like putting on their thinking cap to be like, like sort of personal COVID expert to be like, well, here's how it could have happened, you know, fan along the road or hotel or sort of, you know, asking the questions. I know that's what I've been doing is just sort of being like, yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody wonders. I haven't heard too much conjecture, but uh, it makes you more aware of of just how m- much contact there is with the general public. Even even if they're masked or you know it's just in passing, there's still a lot of people around, and so it makes you uh, it makes you try to try to stay that much sharper on everything that you touch or everyone that you talk to because um, we're we're very vulnerable. Yeah, I know that, you know, we had Brent Bookwalter on the podcast last week and Brent was talking about the bubble itself and how, you know, there's times in the bubble where you feel very safe and secure and like you don't have a whole lot of contact. But he was saying the hotels specifically in Sicily were like raising his eyebrows because at least Mitchelton were sharing hotels or they were in hotels that just like the general public tended to be staying in. Yeah, same for us. Um, so our, our team made made big efforts to get us uh, separated dining rooms, but still we would encounter general public in in the hallways or in the lobby, and so we try and minimize that as much as possible. But it was kind of shocking to be just like, oh, we're just normal guests at this hotel, and you know, are, are they taking all the measures necessary? Uh, so it, it's those sort of things that you see as the weak points and. There's only so much you can do to minimize that. And were you having interactions like that or hotel situations like that at earlier races that you've done since the comeback to racing? The Let's see. I did the Czech tour, mm-hmm. and that one was – they. Uh, our team had, I think, the entire uh, floor of the hotel was just to ourselves. But then in Slovakia, there it was already a bit more relaxed where we were kind of mixed in with the general public. At Lombardia, uh, it was only other cycling teams, you know. Mm-hmm. Lombardia was somewhat mixed, but uh, still, still not quite what we encountered in Sicily uh, as far as general public at the same hotel. Now, once you actually get into the race itself you know once you arrive each day to the race um how's your assessment of the situation there i mean it sounds like in those situations you're not you know coming into regular contact with people the the media bubble is still such that there's like mixed zones and not a ton of media interaction um how would you describe what it's like once you get to the race at the race really we don't encounter any public except for at the start line and at sign on those are the only times we're actually physically close to uh, people outside the race bubble because the start and finish areas are completely blocked off from spectators. 
So from the start line to the finish, we only ride past uh, the public. Uh, but sitting on the start line or at sign on there, they can be a bit closer and most of them have masks on. Uh, so it's, it definitely feels different than um, pre-COVID races though. Yeah. Well, again, like you said, I mean, that's a story that all of us are going to be following and I'm sure all of you in the race are going to be following it a lot closer. So I think we're all crossing our fingers for you guys and the outcome mm-hmm. of this uh, test. You know, take us through this first week of the Giro so far, we had some hectic stages on Sicily and then um, the stages in the mainland, you know, a couple big, long, lumpy days that ended in sprints. And then yesterday, this brutal stage up to uh, the up through the Apennines, bad weather, um, mm-hmm. you know, take us into that stage particular. What um, what's that? What did that rainstorm and that bad weather do to the mood of the Peloton? I mean, everybody was tired already going into yesterday. It's been a hard block of racing. Uh, and then just to have terrible weather piled on top of it, uh, a lot of guys weren't, weren't in the mood to suffer through that. Um, and it was a hard stage anyway. And so everybody had to dig deep just to finish yesterday. And, and then the, the weather, <laughs> I think half the Peloton has a cough now after you know, six hours in cold and rain. Um, so it was just a really trying day to finish off the first week. Just uh, make us really thankful for today. Yeah, and what, I, what also strikes me about yesterday's stage was that this was like a new stage that they added after, you know, the original start in Hungary had to be scrapped because mm-hmm. of COVID. And so the Giro organizers were like, oh, yeah, we got to add some stages here and there. And the stage they added was this total, like, kick in the pants with just a ton yeah. of climbing. <laughs> I was like, oh, these poor guys yeah. must have just like felt so bad when they looked at the new route book and saw this humongous stage. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely not a throwaway day. I mean, what impact a day like a day like that? You know, it's not decisive, but like, what impact does a day like that have in the second or third week of the Giro? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the time gaps yesterday among the GC leaders was, were relatively small, but I think going forward, it's more about the accumulated fatigue that, that yesterday was uh, and how that, that just piles on and contributes to uh, guys cracking in the, in the second and especially third week. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Chet, you know, you guys at Sunweb are riding a high this year. You had such an amazing Tour de France with Mark Hershey winning a stage, Soren Crow Anderson winning a stage. And now here you are at the Giro, and your man Wilco Kelderman's right up there in the overall. And, you know, Wilco's a guy who's been on the radar for a long time, but I don't think – something tells me that a lot of American fans aren't super familiar with him as like a guy or a personality. You know, how would you describe – Wilco's personality. Tell us a little bit about uh, about Wilco. Uh, yeah, he's he's a super, he's a humble guy and, and very soft spoken. He's he's not a, a big personality that draws a lot of media attention and um, he generally flies under the radar. He's he's certainly physically capable of some some really top level performances, but he's had a lot of a lot of bad luck. Uh, in big races over the years. So it's, um, he's not yet fully achieved what he's capable of. Uh, so we're, we're hopeful that this Giro might be the time he does. How does he handle himself within the team? Is he like 
a guy who's talking to a lot of people or you said he's a little soft spoken like how does that dynamic um work when you know you have a team who's working for a guy and he tends to be a little bit more quiet than you know some other leaders you may have had uh yeah all, all every leader is is unique in in some way uh i mean he's soft spoken but he's still he'll let you know what he wants um and if he's if he's really insistent on something, that also comes through. So he can speak up for himself when he when he wants something done differently. Uh, but he's also not not a super stressful guy to uh, to support. I mean, does it feel different at Sunweb this year? I mean, you guys have had a number of new riders join the team, and you had that success at the Tour de France, and you know, you guys won Perry Tours the other day, and it seems like there's a tremendous amount of success and I'm curious if it, if anything feels particularly different in the team this year. Uh, well, we've, we've brought in a lot of, uh, a lot of young guys who even if lacking for experience are, are kind of, uh, over brimming with enthusiasm, which characteristic of the young guys. So that, that has definitely brought a new energy and, uh, and just an enthusiasm for going out and racing hard and, and we're seeing the results come already. And what does that, um, does that change anything for you? I mean, I know at this race, for example, you are the road captain, which it's sort of, it's, it's, I wouldn't say funny. It's just sort of a, a show of how quickly time flies that, you know, you're a real veteran, yeah. a veteran on this team when I sometimes still think of you of having, you know, been like a, a young American joining the world tour. Yeah, I also don't generally think of myself as as being an old guy, but then being around my teammates, I realize that I am I'm, I'm, uh, the second oldest on the team anyway, and uh, I've I've got the most completed Grand Tours and Giro's, especially of of our squad here. So um, yeah, it sort of makes me just the well, the de facto veteran of the group here, and so. Um, which was to make me the road captain. Yeah, I mean, like, you're a dad, Chad. Like, all these, like, 22-year-olds <laughs> must be looking at you like you're from Mars because, you know, you're, like, are you 30 yet? You're 31, right? I'm 32. You're 32. Oh, my gosh, you're yeah. ancient, Chad. Holy uh, cow. I know. I'm getting up there. So, yeah, the, there's definitely a, almost a generational gap between me and some of these guys, but uh, we do at least have bike racing in common. So let's get back to Wilco. Um, you know, he also struck me as a guy who, yeah, he kind of, he kind of came up at the same time and was compared a lot to Tom Dumoulin. They were like the Netherlands' two big like Grand Tour hopes for the future. And Wilco has struck me as a guy who's so strong, but yeah, like you said, he always has like there's always like a that bad luck, like a crash at an untimely time or a bonk or something like that. And I'm curious if you've noticed. I mean, is there anything different or feeling different around him at this race? Um, you know, how do you, how do you, and how do you help a guy get past like a bad moment like that? I don't know if there's a, a different feeling. He's, this is his last race for, for Sunweb. And so there's definitely a, a motivation to, to finish off on a real high and go out with a bang. Um, and as far as getting past injuries, it's, you'd have to talk to him about it. He's, he's had a lot of setbacks. Um, even due to crashes that weren't his fault. Like I remember the, the blockhouse stage at the Giro that, uh, that Tom 
think that was the one that Tom won where where the moto stopped on the side of the road and and Wilco clipped it uh, coming out of the corner and broke his finger. So he's just he he seems to be resilient in that he can continue to to get back to top form after injuries and put those behind him. So yeah, my job is just to you know if within the race any any sort of setback comes, just keep focused forward and uh, try and overcome it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Chad, we're going to be following you in these next couple of weeks here because um, you know you guys are so far up there. It's been an exciting race, and I love the fact that there's so many Americans in this race. I look around on my TV screen and mm-hmm. I just see like a Lawson Craddock or Sean Bennett, Chad Haggett, Larry Warbass. You guys are out there doing it. Yeah, it's, it's fun to have a pretty good contingent here. <laughs> <laughs> 